IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode, we conduct our first ever record label draft. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He insists we didn't steal this idea from the ringer. (laughs) Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? I mean, I'm not going to front like our audience wouldn't go nuts if we actually did a 2005's redraftables, you know, like is, uh, you know, is clap your hands, say, yeah, the Channing Fry of 2005, or are they more like Andrew Bynum? I mean, my first, like my first like viral, if you want to call it that, uh, moment as a writer happened like when I compared every college football program to like a rapper on Blogspot in 2005. So, I mean, we're just getting back to our roots, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and look, <laughs> clearly doing any kind of draft, a pop culture draft, you have to tip your cap to my former boss, Bill Simmons. He is the, uh, I don't even know what the word would be, the innovator yeah. in bringing draft structures <laughs> into pop culture conversations uh, I actually had this idea to do a record label draft, and we'll explain what this is once we get to it. I had this idea when I was listening to The Town. I don't know if you know that podcast. Oh, yeah, totally. It's a bringer podcast. Yeah. My favorite podcast. Shout out Matt Bellamy. It probably doesn't listen to the show. Matt Bellamy? The guy but, from the uh, news? No, not, not Bellamy. Oh, Bellamy. Okay. Got it. Uh, I think he used to work at The Hollywood Reporter. Now he does this podcast that I'm a big fan of. And I love the show. He's talking about things that I don't really care about. It's like all of this like insidery show business type stuff, like Hollywood. Like it's a big show right now because of all the, the strikes going on in Hollywood. This is stuff I I didn't know I cared about, but I just like the way Matt Bellany talks about it. Like he'll do like the top CEOs drought wow. on his show. Like I don't know who any of these people are, but he's an entertaining person and so I enjoyed the show, and I just thought, well, Ian and I could do a record label draft. We're not drafting record labels. We are pretending that we have our own record label, <laughs> and we are picking artists that we would want to be on our label according to certain categories, and we'll explain what those categories are when we get to that part of the episode. But before we get to that, um, this is a big weekend coming up here. Mm-hmm. We have the Barbenheimer phenomenon with Barbie... The movie and Oppenheimer. The movie. Which <laughs> is sort of like an Oasis and Blur type rivalry. If I can bring Oasis and Blur, I, I, I got to yeah. bring that into everything. But it really is, I think, a good analogy here because these things are being posited as rivals, but like one is clearly bigger than the other. Right. You know, like Oasis clearly more popular than Blur. Barbie is like a juggernaut. That's going to be a huge movie. Right. Possibly the movie of the summer. You have Oppenheimer, which is going to do well. It's Christopher Nolan, but it's nowhere near as big as as Barbie is. But it's been turned into this sort of media uh, thing. Has there been anything like this in music lately? I was thinking about how you know instances like where there were two big albums coming out on the same day, mm-hmm. and they were pitted against each other, like. Remember, like, 50 Cent and Kanye yeah. had something? But then there was, that was also, like, the weekend uh, Animal Collective Strawberry Jam came out. So, you know, <laughs> the real heads know that was the winner. Uh, I don't, I can't recall 
something like that in music recently. Nah. Like where there were like two big albums and people were like, I'm going to vote this album over that album. I mean, well, you got to talk about a Nani PJ Harvey. I mean, like, gosh, that, <laughs> right up there with the graduation right. and whatever 50 Cent album came out in 2007. I cannot fucking believe I can't remember that name of that one. Ugh, I, I, I've already failed our audience 10 minutes in. I can kind of picture the album cover yes. of the 50 Cent. Isn't it like a white cover? And he's on it. It's not the massacre because that was two thousand five. Um, Curtis, come to like I, I this is Curtis. so, so oh, right. embarrassing. Okay. I am so fucking embarrassed that I could not remember that. So anyway, <laughs> you got Barbenheimer going on, and then there's the Pitchfork Festival yes. happening, which you're going to. I'm going. Uh, you're taking a red eye flight. Yeah, from San Diego, right? <laughs> so you're so you're leaving. We're recording this on Thursday. So you're leaving, like, tonight. I'm leaving tonight. Uh, yeah. What time? Like, 11.30 or something? Like, 10.45. Like, look, I, you know, no offense to Nourished by Time or the, you know, Chicago local acts that they typically have playing at, like, 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock on a Friday. But, you know, I'm, like, Youth Lagoon at the earliest on Friday. I got to get my nap in. So I haven't been to Pitchfork in about a decade. I think the last time I went was like 2013, huh. and I'm not going Is this year. Is that the year. first time not... we met in person? It might have been. Yeah. It might have been. Um, I'm not doing Barbenheimer either this weekend. I'm going to a cabin up north with the wife and kids, so that's going to be a good time. Uh, going to see some animals, going to do some canoeing possibly, some antiquing. <laughs> there's, a, there's a drive-in uh, restaurant up there that has the best root beer I've ever had in my life. So excited about that. Going to drink a lot of root beer. Um, I wanted to ask you this uh-huh. because, like, I don't think I'm going to go to Pitchfork Festival ever again. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if I could get in. Oh, you like, could for get free. in. I, I don't know a lot of people there. I guess Jeremy Larson, if you're listening, theoretically, yeah. could you get me into Pitchfork? Just, just message me. Let me know. I don't, I don't want to go, but uh, yeah, just theoretically, could you get me in? I'm curious. I don't know how much juice I have there anymore, but anyway, <laughs> do you feel old when you go to Pitchfork? Because I think that's part of my reason why I haven't gone in a while, because when I was there, mm-hmm. I didn't see anyone the age I am now. Because huh. for those who don't know, like at Pitchfork, you know, you got like the hoi polloi and the audience there, but then there's like this backstage area yeah. where all the VIPs are and these VIPs, a lot of them are music writers and like, that's, you know, they're commiserating back there. And it's like <laughs> kind of like a convention for music critics. Yeah. They just hang out and they talk and it's, it's pretty cool. But I just feel like it's almost like there's certain bars I don't go to anymore. Cause I know it's just going to be a bunch of 25 year olds and I'm not 25 anymore. And I would feel a little strange. Like, do you have any of that or has the, uh, the, the cohort there aged, with you like are there a lot of 40 something year old critics hanging out in that little (laughs) backstage area now i mean i imagine there are like enough of them um you know i'm because of like the barbenheimer slash like pitchfork fest um merger like i'm thinking back to the first time i went in 2008 like 15 years ago like (laughs) I'm just having memories of like a, me and a bunch of music writers I had never met in person. 
we made plans to see the Dark Knight on like the Friday, like it debuted uh, on the Friday. I, I think that the week that the festival was happening, like we all went and saw it, and then I just. I still get shit about this to this day, about, like, how excited I was to see dodos and plants and animals perform. Um, you know, we're already in the remembering some guys uh, part. Um, but, you know, it, I mean, it changes. Like, this is a real life-comes-at-you-fast type festival because, um, you know, like, 2012 to 15, I would go, and I'd go to the after parties and, like, you know, the after shows and... You know, like, just be out there and, like, definitely socialize with people who I would see on the, you know, see, quote-unquote, on the internet and not, like, you know, really know. And it would be really refreshing because you find out, like, the person who annoyed you that one time on Twitter is actually super nice in person. And, you know, these are people with whom you share, like, 99% personality traits. Narcissism of small differences really gets amplified. But, um... Nowadays, like, I'm there to, like, see, like, my friends. Like, Pitchfork Festival is kind of an excuse to see the 40-something people who I still keep in touch with and otherwise probably wouldn't see. So I go every other year for them, or every three years as opposed to every year. Like, I, we always like, yeah, this might be the last time we do it. We better come out. Um, and like you, uh, I'm using this weekend to also drive up to Wisconsin. Um... You know, doing it, doing it big Midwest style, going to Milwaukee, Madison, circling back to see Bon Iver on, uh, you know, Bon Iver on Sunday night. Yeah, so you know, just love it. Yeah. I, I'll give you, I'll give you my old address. You can drive by my <laughs> house that I used to live in in Milwaukee. Yeah, IndyCast lore. Yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna do the uh, the the IndyCast tour uh, there, um, we were talking about memorable performances at Pitchfork that we saw. And like I said, like I went, like my prime of Pitchfork Festival going was the late aughts, early 2010s. So I was thinking, like, what performances stand out? I remember seeing Titus Andronicus. Oh, yeah. Like pre the Monitor. I think it was airing of Grievances era, which would have been like 08 yeah. or so, I think. Mm-hmm. That, that was probably. That was really good. That, that was like the Dodos, Plants and Animals. I think Frightened Rabbit played that year. I think Jay Retard was also that year, or he might have been the following year. It was like Blood Visions. Oh wow! Era. Yeah, he he was phenomenal. Um, Deer Hunter. Oh yeah. Seeing them, uh, Halcyon Digest. They were playing. Uh, I feel like it was at dusk. Holy shit! It was like around. It was like around dusk. It was awesome, and they opened with Desire Lines. It was it was it was great. Uh, so that that stands out. I think the last band I remember seeing there was Parquet Courts. I saw them light up gold era they were on like that side stage okay and then i think i left like after huh. i think i left early uh because i i saw pearl jam at wrigley field the night before and they played until about three in the morning and i was really tired and hung over <laughs> it was super hot and i was like right screw this i don't want to be here anymore but uh and then i haven't been back since like, what performances stand out to you I, I I I would be remiss to not talk about the 2008 festival. I'm looking here at the lineup: the Bradford Cox, King Con, Jay Retard, impromptu jam session in between oh, wow. Cut Copy and Bony Vare. Um, oh, beautiful! Yeah, one one day on the Aluminum stage, Animal Collective, Hold Steady, Vampire Weekend, Fleet Foxes, Jay Retard. Um, there you go. Wow. Um, but yeah, I also have the 2012 poster in my office where I'm recording. Like that was the year they had 
Vampire Weekend, like Kendrick Lamar, Grimes, Japandroids, ASAP Rocky. This insane-ass lineups. But, um, you know, my the memorable ones I have um, were... I, I just got to give a shout-out to... Uh, it was sometime in the mid-2010s, Shabazz Palaces. That was the first and only time I ever saw a fight break out at a Pitchfork Fest crowd. Like, just a notoriously chill... Um, festival like really well run well designed but like all of a sudden a fight breaks out at Shabbat like this kind of spacey uh avant-garde rap group but I mean Japan droids in 2012 that was that was fucking awesome you know just being in the crowd not in VIP like people were just saying to me dude you go do your thing we're not going to stand around you while you appreciate Japan droids you're just like standing way too fucking hard right now this is about like a month or so after Celebration Rock came out um I also like when Jeff Rosenstock played in 2017 which is an accomplishment in and of itself and he said how much he got paid uh <laughs> to play the festival which is you know for the record $7,500 um so, yeah, I mean, a couple of, uh, you know, there's a couple of really memorable performances. It was really cool to see the Hotel Year play uh, with Jade from Oso Oso uh, on guitar. That was cool. I got good memories. I remember seeing that Hotel Year performance on the live stream, mm-hmm. and Christian Holden was wearing a t-shirt tucked into their jeans, and uh, it kind of changed the way I, I looked at that band ever ever since. <laughs> like after that, it's like, oh, they're the they're the band that tucks the t-shirt in, into the jeans You're, type band. I've seen them wearing Crocs on stage, so I mean, I think that was dressed up for the hotel year. Um, we have to talk about, and this has nothing to do with indie rock. Not that it ever that doesn't stop us from talking about things, of course. But you know, we talk about the biggest. We say indie news of the week. The biggest music news of the week, I feel like, was. This Jason Aldean song. Mm. I don't know if you heard this song. <laughs> it, it was kind of like the contract. I mean, this is like the slow part of the summer. So, like, people are just looking for things to be upset about. There's this new Jason Aldean song. Jason Aldean, of course, big country singer. Looks like an actual side of beef. Like, you look <laughs> at this guy. He just I, looks I don't like know what he a, looks like. Oh, wow. Yeah, this guy. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, like just take, you know, like a, you know, just like a, like a pork uh, roast. You know, like, if you just put that on top of a person's head, like, that would be Jason Aldean. It sort of looks like AI trying to, like, draw Kobe Keith from memory or something like that. I know that's, like, kind of the phrase that people use sometimes, but... Yeah, he's, like, he's the kind of person, like, he doesn't write his own songs. He's not a great singer. He's, like, an average-looking guy. There's nothing really exceptional about him, but he is, like, a huge hit maker. He's had, like, 25 number one country songs in the past... 20 years just a huge star and a true everyman you're like this could literally be any man <laughs> in america jason aldean uh but he has a song called uh try that in a small town and this song came out a couple months ago what apparently yeah it came out in may I, but huh. yeah it's been out for a while but like the music video i think came out this oh. week so like the music video causes controversy the song try that in a small town basically the premise of the song is you know if you're gonna you know protest Mm -hmm. or you're gonna like you know disrespect police you better not do that in a small town because people will literally shoot you (laughs) and and murder you in a small town that's basically what the song is about and the video um has him performing in front of this like courthouse yeah 
And uh, apparently there was like a lynching at this courthouse, like, <laughs> you know, 80, 90 years ago. I don't know if that was deliberate. I don't want to give Jason Aldean too much credit mm-hmm. for, you know, uh, scheming this. But it, anyway, it's in poor taste. Yeah. Whether it's on purpose or not, poor taste. Uh, the video has a real kind of like, I don't know. People overuse the word fascism now, but there is like a kind of weird, uh, you know, overtone of that in the video. Anyway, people got upset, many of whom don't care about Jason Aldean. Uh, but they saw this video and they got upset about it. And I have to say, like, the song is terrible mm. and the video is, is, is worse. But I do have a soft spot for, like, these reactionary country songs that cross over. Yeah. Because they're so awful. Like, the last one that we had was Accidental Racist. Oh, yeah. Is that starting 10 this year? I feel like it, I feel like there's, like, going to be... Uh, yeah, 2013. Ah, uh, we fucking missed it. It came out in April 2013. We really, we really, really uh, missed it. I dropped the, the ball on that yeah, one. Yeah, where, yeah, where was Stereo Gum? Stereo Gum should have been on top of that. There should have been, like, a think piece from somebody there about yeah. that. Uh I mean, that song, I feel like, was trying to make an anti-racism point. You know, I, I don't think it was coming from this, like, conservative place. I think, you know, Brad Paisley was trying to say... And L.O. Cool J. And L.O. Cool J, <laughs> right. That, like, you know, sometimes you're you're racist by accident, and that's terrible. Uh, I mean, the, the quintessential example of this kind of song is from the early 2000s, like those post-9-11 Toby Keith... Daryl Worley mm-hmm. songs, you know, where it's basically like, we're going to, you know, kick Osama bin Laden's ass. Uh, like that genre yeah. of song. Like that's, that's the greatest example of this. And this Aldine song is like more in that style. Um, but he's like going after like Black Lives Matter and all that kind of stuff, which it's like, isn't this song kind of already out of date? Like what, like there haven't been like protests nationwide in a while now it just seems like really like why now well you know it's, it's a very bizarre timing i think uh i don't know have you have you seen this song or seen this video or heard this song yeah yet? i think it says a lot that you know a song of this nature can like info like i've had a really really busy week at work so i haven't been like totally caught up on the twitter trends but it says a lot that this which is apparently a couple months old has broken through to the like mainstream music twitter i just think of uh this is like literally the drill tweet, like turning a big dial that says racism on it and constantly looking back on the audience for approval. Um, I, I think just pop, like the only place I really interface with pop country music is at Sprouts. And, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, it, it, and uh, and oftentimes, like, I'm like, oh, what country artist is this? And it turns out it's like a recent Bon Jovi song where they went pop country. But, you know, I think that this speaks to. What I find fascinating, I think what a lot of like music writers find fascinating about pop country, it is that it is kind of like that drill tweet where it's this symbiotic relationship where, you know, Nashville writers, um, you know, just kind of get, not guess at, but like scrutinize like what the audience wants and gives it back to them. And um, yeah, it, it, it's like a very fan service oriented genre which, you know, like, I, I think that their music is just as polished and just as, like, thoughtful and crafty as any form of pop music. But um, it's really, like, it's really a genre that, like, is moved, like, from bottom up. You know what I mean? And 
Which is, and also, like, I think this week there was, like, an article in the New Yorker about how, like, certain, quote, wokeisms are, like, getting into country music as well. So, it, you're seeing, like, both of these dynamics play out at the same time. While, like, Morgan Wallen is kind of the, like, he, like, knocked off uh, a bunch of, uh, like, pop, R&B, hip-hop artists at number one, like, a couple of months after his album came out or something. Like, he's kind of the biggest artist of this year, right? Yeah, in the last couple of years, I think. Yeah, Mark, like Morgan Wallen, it's just been a juggernaut. Yeah, I don't know. I, to some degree, I feel like this song, like a song like this, it's not just about the people who would support what he's singing about. It's about angering the right people. And what what I mean by the right people are like the people that maybe if you live in a small town, you are inclined to react against. You know, the big coastal elite type people right i i because you know does this song become a phenomenon if like people aren't angry about it you know i i have my doubts about that but i mean the thing about the song and other people have said this this isn't like an original thing but like the premise of the song is wrong he's from macon georgia that's not a small town (laughs) well and also like if you've been to small towns in like the middle of the country like there's probably even more anti-authority sentiment in a lot of these places because they're economically depressed. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, you know, opiate addiction issues going on. I mean, these are like ravaged places. It's not some romanticized, like, apple pie on the windowsill, you know, flying an American flag in front of your house. I mean, these are like run-down, kind of scary places Mm -hmm. a lot of times. So this idea that, like, you know people in small towns they respect police like i don't believe that <laughs> i don't think that's true like Tell them about appleton they, I mean, wisconsin you know how do they do it in there you know well yeah i don't know i mean just there's like a lot of misery in, in small town america so i don't know but again i think it's such a this is like how a lot of culture is now it's just about well i'm going to support this because someone i hate <laughs> is going to be against it right so that's the basis of my support because Again, like Jason Aldean, he's like such an average person in every kind of way. I, I don't under like his success is uh, it's confounding because you can't say like, well, he's just a great looking guy, so people love him because he's a good looking guy. He's like, no, he's not. He's not a good looking guy. He's not a great singer. He doesn't write his songs. Uh, there's nothing that he does that is exceptional. So I don't know. What's fascinating, except his success. Yeah, his success is exceptional. What's fascinating to me is that like. With pop country, a lot of times, you know, the biggest draw is that these artists are people who you could imagine yourself in the place of. Like, they're supposed to be super relatable. And yet, I'm like, wonder, is there like, you know, stan armies or like the same sort of parasocial relationship that people have with, say, like, you know, like Taylor Swift or like uh, something like that, where it's like people who you know, hear a Jason Aldean song or, you know, Morgan Wallen song and just posting, yo, it me or like doing memes about it. I'm, I'm just, it, it, it's, yeah, I, I'm just really wondering if like that, if, if there's just that element, uh, like the Swifty army or, or like the, you know, the Bayhive or like the Barbs or whatever that like exists for artists of that ilk. I think so. And I think especially, in an instance like this, if people feel like, oh, he's under attack. Right. You know, like the liberal media is going <laughs> after him. So I'm going to support his song because I don't like the idea of people being canceled. Yeah. Jason Aldean featuring can- Ariel Pink coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, 
before we get to our draft, there's one other thing that we need to talk about. <laughs> and this is even like less indie rock than Jason Aldean, yeah. but it's funny, so we're going to talk about it. <laughs> there's this thing called the Summer of 99 Cruise. Has to be a cruise, yeah. Yeah, it's a cruise. It's a cruise ship, and uh, it's taking place in, uh, when is it? Like next year. I think it's like next spring. This is taking place. And the headline of this cruise is that it is uh, being headlined by a reunited Creed. Creed is back. Not the film Creed. Not Michael B. Jordan. I'm talking about the rock band Creed. Scott Stapp. The Michael Jordan of Christian uh, arena rock. I, guess. I don't <laughs> fucking know. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the guitar player's Mark name. Mark Tremonti. Oh, my God. Mark Put Tremonti. Put on the name. Jeez. And, and in the rhythm section, I don't know their names. Yeah. Um, they're getting back together. They're the headliners, and the rest of the bill includes. And this is a very interesting bill because, again, it's called Summer of '99. So this is the idea. Like, the idea, I guess, is that these were all popular bands in in '99. So you've got Three Doors Down get special billing as the very special guests. So they're on the second line, and then the third line you have Buck Cherry, Tonic, Vertical Horizon, Fuck yeah. Fuel. Hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Is this like the Wait, version of Fuel featuring Brett Scallions? I know they got beef. Um, isn't that isn't his name in the name of the band? If it's if it's Scallions, I think you're right. Yeah, it's like Brett Scallions playing Brett Scallion playing the songs of Fuel. So I got to look into that. So by the way, you you fuck yeah, Vertical Horizon. I, I did. That, that's a that I, I said Vertical Horizon. You said fuck yeah. I think it was just kind After of a that. general thing. I don't really fuck with Vertical. I'm more like a tonic. Like I can. <laughs> I, I, I legit like a couple of tonic songs, so. Yeah, yeah. If you could only see. Yeah, it's a good song. great song. Um, Tantric. God. Dishwalla. This is the wild card. Louise Post of uh, Veruca Salt. Yeah. And it, it mentions Veruca Salt in the billing. And then Nine Days. Yeah. Um, and then Eddie Trunk is the host. I don't know course. who that is. You know Eddie Trunk? I don't know who that is. That metal show? On VH1, he's like he's like the guy like any hard rock or metal documentary. Eddie Trunk is a talking head. Like he's a big disc jockey in that world. Oh, that guy! Ed, I'm I'm looking at yeah. that guy. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Ed, Eddie Trunk. Yeah, uh, and he looks like a guy called Eddie Trunk. He really that's like a perfect does. name yeah. for him. <laughs> he's got a total Eddie Trunk looking uh, face. Yeah, and that Pinfield's um, up in the mix too. I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get Pin, Pinfield, you know, I think of him as being more alt rock yeah. than this kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, but he but, was you know, on Limp Biscuit record too. So was he? Yeah, I think Matt Pinfield did a uh, like an introduction, or I think it was Significant Other. I'm like, I'm like fair, I'm like fairly pop. Yeah, rant from Significant Other. Okay, I was I was gonna do a Matt Pinfield impression. <laughs> And now I'm having second thoughts. Like two people who listening to this podcast would like be able to. F- I like look. I spent like nine hours a day watching MTV in the '90s, and if I, if you did a Matt Pinfield impression without telling me who you were doing, I would not be able to recognize it anyway. So, hey, hey this is Matt Pinfield. Okay, that kind of yeah. talks like this. <laughs> now I'm gonna. But, that, but this that, is gonna lead me back to listening to Significant <laughs> Others. Sick. Um, this bill is intriguing to me because there's like. You have like the post grunge bands. You have uh, Creed, Three Doors Down, mm-hmm. and then you have like Buck Cherry. They're 
I think more of like a Guns N' Roses retread. Yeah, same era though. Same era. But then you have like these pop rock bands. Tonic, Vertical Horizon, Dishwalla, The Verf Pipe. Yeah. I mean, am I overthinking this? Because I feel like like the Buck Cherry fan, are they going to be down for Dishwalla? Counting Blue Cars, that's their big song, right? Isn't that Dishwalla? That is definitely Dishwalla. Tell me all your thoughts on God. Please stop fucking fronting like you don't know what Tishwala's big song is. Well, (laughs) but the song title is a little confusing. It is, Because if it was called Tell Me Your Thoughts on God. very indie rock to use, like a lyric from like the pre-chorus rather than the chorus itself. I bet bet they did that thing, um, sort of like uh, Nine Days, absolutely parenthetical story of a girl where they had like you know, put this the actual like chorus in a parenthetical so like people would know what it is. Exactly. I, I, I'm I'm guessing that in counting blue cars, there's a parenthetical that says, "Tell me all your thoughts." Yeah. On God. <laughs> there's got to be that because if that's what it makes it a little confusing. Because like I know that song, but I was like, "Oh, what's the actual title?" I couldn't remember for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, Nine days. That song. Really? What's your What's your stance on that song? I, I that is like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. To me, it fucking sucks. But like, my, my my problem is that like that was the song that led me to realize like, wait a minute. When I think back on it, like when I worked at Ben and Jerry's in the summer of two thousand, like the and we listened to the mainstream rock station. The only songs I ever heard were like album cuts from Californication and Three Doors Down. So Three Doors Down, summer of two thousand, Nine Days, summer of two thousand. Like this yeah. whole concept is just not seaworthy, like, literally or figuratively, so... Yeah, but, you know, let's not get overly pedantic, though. You know, it's close enough. You know, you get older, you you lose track of the years. Could be, like, 99, could be 2000. You know, people don't know. What about Louis Post, though? I mean, gosh, what a way way to take one for the troops. Like, it's like, she's, like, not only... Like, literally the only woman on this entire fucking cruise... Yeah, I hope she has her own boat yeah. that she can go to. Nina Gordon coming through on the rescue boat. I, I don't know if those two are still talking. but I mean, yeah, I, yeah, isn't there a feud there? I, I assume that they don't get along if they're not in the same boat. Yeah, I guess so. But I don't know. Well, maybe one of the uh, dudes from the rhythm section comes through. Yeah, I don't know. Louise Post, do you think she knew? Okay, you got Buck Cherry on here. Yeah, it's like not even like, got- if, it's not even like alt-rock, you know, one-hit wonders. It's like, you know, Buck Cherry, who, like, did, they, they, wait, were they Cold Hard Bitch, or was that Jet? That's Jet. Okay. But they, uh, they, oh, what's that song? Lit up, uh, um, fuck. Crazy Bitch. Crazy Bitch, that's Buck it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Buck Cherry For song. the movies, though, um, I will give that a shout. That's a good power ballad. I mean, Lit Up, I like that song. That yeah, Buck they, Cherry. They, like, they crawled so Jet could fly, or whatever the fucking phrase is. Um... But yeah, I don't know. Like, Ruka Salt is more mid-90s to me than Absolutely. late 90s. Yeah, it's like Yellow but, Jacket's core. Yeah, but, you know, hopefully she's she, they gave her the bag. Yeah. And that's why she's to, doing it. Get to the bag. Eight arms to hold the bag or whatever the fuck that <laughs> album was called. All right. Well, let's get to our first ever record label draft. I'm excited about this. Yeah. This is an idea that we did not steal from anybody. <laughs> Well, actually, we did. We already admitted that we stole this idea, it's but it's public a fun dom- idea. It's public domain. 
Is it? Yeah, it's not copyrighted. Yeah. You can't. And the, and as far as I know, the Ringer they've never done a record label draft. Yeah. So this variation on the idea that we're stealing is new. That's so. If we ever do a misery index, then we gotta like give. Uh, then we gotta like give shaft to Grantland. That that's a purely yeah. Grantland idea. Yeah, but that would be like Disney <laughs> would be going after us then. Yeah, because like they own that. So maybe we don't want to mess with Disney. Uh, but record label draft, and this was something I came up with. I pitched it to you. You you were like, let's do it. And this is how it works. So the idea is that you're starting a record label, and you get five picks, five artists, bands that you can bring onto the label right away. It doesn't matter what label they're on right now. It doesn't matter what their deal is now. The idea is that the, all the artists in the world are free agents, and you can bring them in to your record label. Money is no object doesn't matter what the signing bonus is. We can pick anyone. Like, originally I thought, let's do an indie label draft, but, like, indie is so hard to define. So I just made it a record label draft. Theoretically, you can draft Taylor Swift or The Weeknd if you want. I think it'd be best if we kept it within the indie cast world. Mm -hmm. So you can take Creed, I guess, and you can take... I bet uh, they're free agents. I bet they're technically... Probably. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know... I know, like on my potential list here, it's I didn't go for anyone like too big, but uh, anyway, there's five categories here, and you can draft these in any order that you want. But the categories are one sacred cow. This is an artist that you sign just because you love them. You want them to be on your label. Prestige artist. This is an artist who maybe they don't do a ton of streams, but they get great reviews on every record, and it would be really attractive to other artists and bands potentially if they were on your label mm-hmm. third category high streamer this is an artist or band who doesn't get a lot of press maybe they don't get great reviews but they do incredible streaming numbers so they're going to be bringing home the bacon here for the prestige people on your label fourth category solo artist 28 years or younger well, the idea is that you're going to be locking in this kind of younger artist hopefully for a long time, an artist that you think is going to be making music for a while. Maybe they're ascended. records type contract. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're, you're locking them in to like a, a long-term deal. And then finally, a band with three or fewer albums. Again, it's the same idea as the solo artist, just like a younger band that you feel is ascendant that would just be great on your label. You're going to be locking them in. They're going to be moving units for a long time. They're going to be doing streaming numbers for a long time. Mm-hmm. So those are the five categories. Again, you can pick them in, in, in any order. Um, let's determine who the first pick is here. I have a coin. Oh. You're going to have to trust me. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to flip a coin. If you win the coin toss, you can choose whether you want to pick first or get the second and third pick. Third? Well, yeah, whoever, whoever picks first. Got it. You get one pick. The, the next person gets two picks, and then we'll alternate. Ah, there we go. Cool. So, so I'm going to flip a coin. I'll let you call it in the air. Right. Flipping it. Heads. Call. It is tails. Man. Okay. I'm going to go first, and then you can get the next two picks. Right. That work for you? That works for me. Do you have any questions about <laughs> the draft or the rules so or anything? Do we both get to pick a sacred cow? That, that, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, cool, we, cool. yeah. All five categories, because right. we have five picks. Cool. So, so, you, so, we, so we each pick one of these. I guarantee we're not going <laughs> to come anywhere near picking the same people, but I'm excited nonetheless. Well, okay. One reason I wanted the first pick yes. is that 
I'm going to pick a band that I think you might want to pick. Okay. For my first pick. I'm going to pick in the band with three or fewer albums category. Fuck. And by the way, this is not all-time. We're not doing like all-time. Like you can't pick the Beatles or something. This is like bands and artists as they are right now, uh-huh. today. So I'm going with the band with three or fewer albums category. Do you know who I'm going to pick here? I feel like I do. I'm picking Turnstile. Oh, okay. Here. That's not the one I thought. Um. And I'm I'm cheating here slightly because they have five EPs, <laughs> and they have but they have, but they only have three albums, and it's a category of three or fewer albums. So I'm going with Turnstile, partly because I feel like you might have wanted to pick them. <laughs> I don't know if they were on your board or not, but I'm also picking them because, as we've talked about many times on this show, they are a rock band who's younger, who is ascendant, and it just feels like their next record could bump them up to arena status. Or if not that, at least they're going to continue to be a, a, a very big band. So they, they just jumped out at me as like, if I'm starting a record label, I want to have Turnstile on my label. They just seem like a great mix of critical acclaim and, pop, and popularity. So they're my first signing on my record label. Were they on your board at all? Am I burning you at all by, by taking Turnstile? Not at all. I think I, I, like, uh, I struggled between picking bands that like make sense with the categories and like picking ones that you know might make my label successful i mean once you see my sacred cow i mean that is you can be absolutely sure that i have no fucking intent of uh you know making money off this thing but what stood out to me is um i wanted a artist who was going to be prolific um and also spawn a bunch of other side projects so that's why my three albums or few okay but, but by the way i just want to say like you don't have to pick in the same category oh I did. okay well no like you, you can pick in any order like your okay you, you know your category you don't have to pick in my category got it well then i'm gonna have to go with prestige artists because um yeah i think this might be one that you would consider and so um my prestige like someone who doesn't do big commercial numbers but gets great reviews and or is a legacy act you know, I'm not a f- fan of this band, but they like put out records like every year and they probably sell the same exact amount and they get written by the same people, but they are consistent. I like to keep the lights on. I'm going to go with Mountain Goats uh, because, you know, they, they put out albums, but they also do like some other shit, you know, like you get that podcast uh, stuff, you get those books. Um, it just seems like a savvy investment. I was not going to take uh, Mountain Goats. They're, they they were not on... I do not have them on the board for prestige artists, but that makes sense. Yeah, literate, like, the literate former... Like, every single person who used to be into hardcore will become, if not Mountain Goats... Like, I also thought about picking Holt Steady here. Uh, but I think the Mountain Goats make more records. So, yeah, it's just, like, where do people go when they, like, want to be, like, super serious, like, hardcore, but they're you know, in that phase of their lives where they're reading books and bars, like they go to mountain goats. So I'm going to definitely capitalize on that endlessly renewable resource. I am shocked that that's your first round pick. Mm-hmm. That is a curveball from you going with the mountain goats. <laughs> yeah. At number one, because uh, there, there was no way in the world that I would ever take the mountain goats. Uh, so it was just the pick I feel most confident about. That's like the one I can okay. justify the best. It's good. It's a good pick. They're like you said. They put out a record every year. They have a very loyal fan base. Are you going to get some of that John Darnielle book money? 
Is there any way to like write that into the record deal? Yeah, my lawyers are fierce, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, for my second pick, I'm going to go in the solo artist 28 years or younger category. And I'm going with my boy MJ Lenderman. Yeah. Number two, uh, I'm a big fan of MJ Lenderman. I also feel like he could potentially have like a like a nice size career ahead of him outside of Wednesday. A Wednesday obviously is a is a big band and he's a guitar player in that band. But uh, I think that as a solo artist, he could be at least as big as Wednesday. Hmm. I really think that he has that kind of following already. He just uh, signed to Anti Records. He's putting out a single with them in the fall. It just seems like he works a lot. I think he's a really good artist. I think he's like 23 years old. He is like he's young. really young. Yeah. He's a young he's a young dude. Um but I don't know. I know like whenever I talk about him, a lot of people are excited. I think he's already kind of building like a pretty loyal fan base and he just seems like the kind of person who could become like the kingpin of that kind of music king of the dudes <laughs> king of the dudes king of the like sort of country-ish leaning indie rock sound i mean i don't know i i just think he's got a big future ahead of him and i would be excited to lock him into my label so mj lenderman is my second pick so uh for me uh <laughs> With uh, with with the high streamer, um, I'm gonna go. So I heard. Well, actually, you know what? As far as my, I'm gonna go with my solo under the age of 28 uh, artist for my second pick. Um, and this one came to me. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, where someone mentioned that this artist actually has more. Uh, it's it's kind of cheating because she's also like a high streaming act. Uh, Faye Webster. So I was told uh. that she has more sh- monthly subscribers than Boy Genius, which is, you know, she's not going to be my high streaming pick. But I also think that, you know, she is create. She's a very creative artist. You know, I'm not, you know, I, I haven't really got into her albums, but she seems like she touches on a lot of different genres. Like, you know, because she came from the awful record sort of world in Atlanta, she's got a foot in hip hop. She can kind of do the the country ballad sort of thing, you know, being from Georgia. Um, and also there's this not over, it's not like an overly pitched parasocial relationship the way people have with some of the, you know, more popular female artists of the day. So she kind of, it seems like she's in it for the long run. I don't think there will ever be a backlash against her like there might be with you know some other artists. So this just seems like another savvy investment uh, on my list. I like that pick. Yeah. It's, it's, That's a good pick. Yeah. Um, you know, all three boy geniuses are 28 and younger. I think Dacus and Bridgers are 28 and Baker's 27. So we're not taking any of those. Those would have been good picks, though, yeah. for this category. I, good, I, boring I, picks, but good ones. Exactly. I thought about taking Phoebe Bridgers uh, just because it's such a slam dunk, but I have to go with MJ Lenderman. And yeah, you, we don't want to be too predictable here. Mm-hmm. That, that that seems a little chalky, taking one of the boy geniuses in this category, but it would have been very smart. Um, I'm going to go in the high streamer category here, and there's like a lot. I actually had a lot of people here, and I, there were a couple people I was, I, I, I was going in between here. I'm not going to say who they are because I'm curious if they would overlap with you. But uh, I'm going to go with Cigarettes After Sex in this category. 
their streaming numbers are insane. They are unbelievable. Like they have, I think their top song has like 900 million streams. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I'm looking. It's 837 streams. If you look at like their top streamers on Spotify, they have like a song that's been streamed 395 million times. Another one 366 million times. 250 million times. I mean, they've got like seven or eight like nine-digit streaming songs on Spotify. You never hear anybody talk about this band. <laughs> I looked on Pitchfork. I think their last album got a 4.0. It was so fucking bad. It, that album was so bad. <laughs> so, like, this, 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 you know, I'm going purely for the money with this act. I'm, I'm signing them because I know they do big numbers. I'm not going to get a lot of respect for having them on my label, but it doesn't matter. They're going to bring home the bacon. I mean, I think their whole thing is truth in advertising. They have sex in the name of the band. It seems like the kind of band that you like a certain kind of person puts on. Right. When they're having sex, I guess, although that seems so weird to me <laughs> that you would be that literal. Be like, yeah, we're about to uh, get intimate. Let's put on cigarettes after sex. But apparently it works. And I'm not going to question it. I'm going to be a mercenary record label head. I'm going to sign Cigarettes After Sex as my high streamer pick. Yeah. that yeah. I, I, one of my younger coworkers brought that band up. It's like, yeah, they, they, I like that one song. And like all their songs sound like that one song, except way fucking worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, they're, they're just like phenomenal streaming um and syncing and all those things yeah it's it's a wise pick um even though i know nothing i know nothing about them there's i have no idea what they look like or like who's in that band it it doesn't it seems totally irrelevant to what their popularity is like no one cares about who's in that band Mm -hmm. they just apparently want to play their songs on playlists yeah it's the, the but i cannot stress enough i've heard their other songs that aren't no one's gonna hurt you and man they are so bad it is it is yeah. you got like i think I, I you gotta listen to it um yeah i'm not i'm not proud to have them on my label but <laughs> it's a necessary evil they will help they keep offset. the lights on yeah yeah they'll, they'll make it easier for me to like give mj lenderman a long runway over you know he can build his career over many albums because i'm just cashing <laughs> the cigarettes after sex checks Right on. All right, so I'm going to go with uh, my high streaming. Um, this is also sort of a hybrid one. Um, I thought about picking Suicide Boys. Now, this isn't. Uh, this is like a. They. I don't even know how to describe it. They kind of cover the bases of like SoundCloud rap, but also sort of hardcore. Like they did the Grade A Festival in 2021, which, by the way, Turnstile played that and like the audience was just not into it, which was fascinating. This is like kind of sort of around when um, Glow On came out. They have like 10 million plus um, monthly uh, subscribers on Spotify. Um, I think that would be a good choice, but I'm going to pick, you know, something a little more uh, curated and tasteful. This also, this is like kind of quasi prestige as well. Um, in that they kind of put out albums pretty regularly and they're popular. I'm going to go with The Drums, another band that is like surprisingly popular, like way more popular than you probably think. They are playing bigger venues 
in your uh, town than you probably think. Because stuff like this, like kind of gothy, kind of smithsy, this stuff has so much popularity that uh, kind of goes unnoticed. Um, but, you know, they make great songs. They, you know, haven't really nailed it as far as albums go. I heard good things about the new one. But, um, yeah, I feel this is another one to, you know, this is going to make sure the bills get paid. But also not quite as, you know, mercenary cigarettes after sex. Although I do imagine there's quite an overlap of drums fans and uh, cigarettes after sex. So maybe we do our South by Southwest, like, co-sponsored uh, label <laughs> label uh whatever those things are you know like how sometimes like label have showcases that's what they're called so i'm gonna go with the drums i like that pick Un- unsexy unsexy pick but you know w- a wise investment yeah it's not as shameless as the cigarettes after <laughs> sex pick but you know again I-, I can stand by that um some other artists i had on my board for this category i had lord huron oh god yeah that boy. here just like the king of the sinks. Oh, yeah. And like, you, you know, they, they do really well. I also had that dude, Noah Kahan, <laughs> on my list, who, he has like a song with Post Malone. Yeah, you can't afford that, Noah Kahan, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, he doesn't stream as well as Cigarettes After Sex. That's why who I didn't does, take though? him. But, but uh, I mean, we've talked about Kahan already on the show. Um, he's just somebody that I hadn't even heard of until like a month ago. And my editor, Phil, was like, have you heard of this Noah Kahan dude? Like, he's everywhere. And now he has a song with Post Malone that came out this week. Potential song of the summer candidate. Right. Uh, but uh, didn't take him this time. Um, all right, so for uh, my next pick, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't do that thing like where you took the next two picks. <laughs> we didn't do that. Yeah. We forgot we're, we're, to do that. We're I just realized we're, that. We're workshopping. This is uh, still... Well, that's you. Yeah. You got to fire your GM, man, because uh, that's, <laughs> like that was a Vikings. major oversight. It's like what the Vikings did that one year. We're, yeah, yeah. You, uh, the intersection of sports and pop culture on this podcast and only this podcast. So, um, okay, so for my next category, I'm going to go with the prestige artist category, and you know, again, this is someone who doesn't do big commercial numbers, but they get great reviews and and or they're a legacy act. Um, I'm going to go with just like a really reliable band that's been around forever. They always get good reviews. Very consistent. They they put out albums like pretty regularly. They have an album out this year that got great yeah, reviews. I know exactly. I like it a lot. Yola Tango. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, great band. Love them. Uh, again, very reliable. They haven't made a bad record really in like 30 years, 35 years. Uh, critics will always love them. It's like a cliche how much critics <laughs> like them. There was that Onion article about... About Yola Tango yeah, it was in and Athens, uh, Georgia. Was that the forty watt? Yeah, it, it it just seems like such a solid pick, and I feel like a lot of people would look at the label and they'd go, "Okay, cigarettes after sex is on this label," but they also sign Yola Tango, so maybe this will offset that. So yeah, Yola Tango is my prestige pick. All right, so I'm gonna go with my uh, band with three or fewer albums picks. So I've got three out of the five out of the way. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, my my. I just like to play, I like to play the odds. So I know this band's going to put out a lot of records and they're probably going to put out a lot of solo records along with it. So um, probably not going to, they may have peaked in the prestige wise, but I'm going to go with Black Country New Road. Um, Wow. Yeah. You know, they're not, I don't like, look, if they make an album like 75% as good as Ants from up there, like so be it. But 
You know, I just see that. Like, I, I, I really thought about this one. It's like, it's got to be one of these British fans because, um, you know, I think Fontaine's DC was another option. Like, I feel like they are just, like, they, they cultivate the type of audience that's, like, always going to be there. Like, Fontaine's DC is, to me, sort of like an idols I can be less embarrassed by. Um, they're, like, not as cringe <laughs> and, like, but, yeah, with Black Country New Road... Um, it's sort of like, you know, trying to like sign Wu-Tang because like, you know, if you get them, then when the inevitable solo albums came out, maybe you get your hands on that as well. You get uh, like jockstrap money or whatever. Um, and also they'll probably put out like two albums every single year. So that's who I'm going with with my uh, young, young up and coming artist. I was going to say like. They only have three albums at this point? Yeah, technically. I mean, they got like two albums um, uh, for the first time and Ants From Up There. And if you want to count the live album from this year, which is all new songs, yeah. Wow, okay. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, a band I considered for this category was Always. Oh, yeah. Um, but they're not that prolific. That That's the downside of them. You know, like If you sign them now, you might not get an album from them until, you know, 2026. Yeah. So you're, you'd be waiting a while for always, and it's going to be great. Everyone will love it, but, you know, maybe your label's going to be bankrupt by then. Mm-hmm. So that's the knock against always. Uh, otherwise, I would have taken them. Uh, last pick. Mm-hmm. This is my sacred cow pick. And I'm not going to overthink it. I, 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 I made this my last pick because I thought there's no way you're going to take this band. <laughs> So I didn't worry about it being taken. Uh, so that's why I kept it for last. But they are the number one band for me. The War on Drugs. I want them on my label. I'd be very excited. They're not going to be putting out a record for a while either. I'm going to be waiting. Maybe until 2025, 2026. But that's okay. I'm going to I'm gonna bankroll this record. I'm going to give Adam whatever he wants. Oh, you want to record in like all the best studios in Los Angeles? Go right ahead, man. Sean Everett? Put him on retainer. We'll pay him whatever it takes. I just need your Heartland Rock anthems to hit me as hard as they always do. It would be my honor to pay for them. So, War on Drugs. I guess I'm taking them away. What, what label are they on? Uh, Atlantic. Right now, they're on some major label. <laughs> they're on, Atl- they're on Atlantic yeah. Records. I'm wooing them from Atlantic Records. Bringing it to my record label, The War on Drugs. My sacred cow pick. <laughs> It's very clear that you and I thought about this uh, <laughs> about this assignment quite differently because, um, you know, I didn't... When I thought of, like, Sacred Cow, like, I thought of picking a band that was, like, defunct or whatever. Like, I think the people who are going to flock to my label, like, have to know... You know, have to be kind of on the same wavelength as me as far as, like, taste. Now, it's very clear from my previous picks, I'm not interested in making money. Like, this is just going to be some sort of, like, uh, you know, startup boondoggle. Um, I am going with Woo Life. I am doing this because I, wow. I want to... Wow! I want to... Boom! I, I want to find, like, the most creative... Like, because, I mean, like, that's, like, you know, one of my, like, Twitter shticks is just to remind people of this band's existence. And so I want to just do the dumbest possible reissues and repackaging of this one their one album imaginable like it's okay it came out in 2011 so you know next year it's like the special 13th anniversary reissue of go tell fire to the mountain where you know it's like one song has a different mix or 
you know, just selling all the vocals so you can hear them without the music. Um, I want, you know, if, if, if you're the type of artist who thinks, yeah, that's super cool, this person, like, started an entire label to uh, re-release Woo Life, uh, you know, one Woo Life album, you know, we, we, we can match wits. This, to me, is like a, it's prestige, it's sacred cow, it just kind of shows you that, like, man, this person is, like, really taking the long view. Wow. <laughs> that is a shocker. But I love the pick. You know, if I was thinking about reissues, my sacred cow would probably have to be Counting Crows. Because oh. I'd want to do the Recovering the Satellites box set that I think a good number of people would want, but I feel like no record label will actually put out. You know, because it would have it happened already. I don't know what the deal is with it. I actually talked about, Adam, I talked about this with Adam Duritz once, mm. about Recovering the Satellites and whether there, there would be a box set. And he seemed like, oh yeah, there would be a lot of material for that. I think this was on Celebration Rock. I can't remember what he said exactly, but maybe that would be like my another sacred cow. Bring bring in Counting Crows and just do like the August and everything after box set, recovering the satellites box set. You know, like Wilco style, like how Wilco's doing all these box sets for their albums. I'll do that for Counting Crows. But man, the Woo Life pick. That's incredible, man. Yeah. That's an incredible. Pick. I either overthought this or just completely got the assignment wrong. Uh, no, man, no. Uh, but my, my thing was cows. like first thought, best thought. I'm like, yeah, I want to be, yeah, I, I, not that I think I'd make any money or like any prestige, but I'm like, yeah, let's let's just re, let, let's just kind of redo what I do on Twitter as a label. So, let's let's go over our lineups here. Yes. My record label, I have Turnstile, MJ Lenderman, Cigarettes After Sex, Yola Tango, and The War on Drugs. Who's on your label? <laughs> I got Woo Life, Mountain Goats, uh, The Drums, Faye Webster, and Black Country, New Road. Uh, uh, this, is wow. like, this is like a New York Jets type draft, whereas you're the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, wow. <laughs> We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, so uh, I am shifting, speaking of legacy acts, sacred cows, uh, I'm shifting to the literary world right now. Um, and you mentioned uh, MJ Lenderman and Wednesday. Uh, this guy's on what I guess is the literary equivalent of like the Rat Saw God press circuit. Um, it is Jeff Rickley, uh, his debut novel, Someone Who Isn't Me. It's out, uh, I believe, next Tuesday. And, you know, I'm... I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to. Uh, lead singer of Thursday, um, United Nations, No Devotion. Great guy. Someone who I've talked to a lot in real life and as like an artist. Um, and he wrote this book about uh, his experience of kicking his heroin habit by going to Mexico for an Ibogaine clinic. It's like this psychedelic experience that defragments your brain and you smoke DMT with a shaman. Um, it's, I would call it more like auto fiction rather than a straight up addiction memoir or something like cherry. Um, but it's, it's, it's a good book. And also, you know, it's, it's there for the Thursday heads. I mean, it's barely fictionalized in certain places. They got the members of Thursday in there. They've got, uh, Martin Shkreli making a cameo because as y'all know, he, he was the financier behind 
Collect Records, which was a label that more or less functioned how I would function a dream label, except, you know, people found out how they were making their money. So it toes the line between, like, memoir, autofiction, experimental uh, stuff. Reads really quickly. Um, and my interview with Jeff should be up early next week at Uproxx. All right. I'll look forward to that. I want to talk about a band from Austin, Texas called Being Dead. They have a new record out called When Horses Would Run. And I would describe this band as like kind of like the OCs, but like with an element of like early B-52s mixed in. There's a lot of surfy guitar. There's definitely like a punk influence in there, but it's also a pretty poppy record at the same time. And it just has this like really kind of fun, freewheeling uh kind of like countercultural vibe going with it. And uh, it's just a really enjoyable record. You know, I have to say that like, you know, like surf music is like one of those genres that like always exists. It's like rockabilly or something. <laughs> like there's always going to be a cadre of people who are really into it. I am a big fan of like surf sounding guitar, even though like surf music itself gets a little derivative and, and one note if you listen to it for too, for too long. But this band is able to take that element and put it again into more of this sort of garagey, uh, irreverent kind of punk uh, formula thing. And it, it just works really well. And it's a really fun record. It's called, again, When Horses Would Run. The band is called Being Dead. I like bands with the word dead in the title. So that is also a, a plus for me. But yeah, just a really fun record. I've been listening to it a lot this week. I feel like there's this kind of emerging B-52s joe like surf kind of thing going on that band snooper from previous week seems like they're functioning and kind of similar stuff like b52s devo i don't know maybe maybe we're seeing a trend emerging it's good i mean you know the b52s for the longest time people just thought oh that's love the love shack, shack band yeah. <laughs> but then you know at some point you know they went to the self-titled debut record or wild planet like those early b52s records which are like really cool and actually i like love shack too i'm not knocking yeah, bar love myth, shack bar myth's a classic but uh yeah they are a much deeper band than i think a lot of people gave them credit for and it seems like people are rediscovering a lot of those early b52s records as they should they're really good Thank you all for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. (laughs) 